you know, uh, the main point of, of, of this passage is that um, uh, Jesus is exalting, exalting himself above the law of Moses. He is, he, is, um, he is changing the appointed punishment given down by, by Moses. Essentially, what, what he's doing here is he's reestablishing righteousness on the foundation of grace. And so that's what I'm going to point to as we deal with this. And, and, and we're going to see that throughout, uh, that, that, that particular point found throughout the New Testament. So let me read this text, and then we'll kind of dive into the context and then some other scriptures. So starting in John, technically 7, verse 53 through 811, says this. Um, they, they went each to his own house, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Early in the morning, he came again to the temple. All the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery, and placing her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now, in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? This they said to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against him. And Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. At once more, he bent down and wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. And Jesus stood up and said to her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. Okay, we, when we uh, were in John um, last spring, we, we learned a lot about the festivals. And you have three main festivals. You, you have uh, Passover, you have Pentecost, and then you have the Feast of Booths. And this is in, at the end of the Feast of Booths. Jesus is returning to the temple, and the, the, he's beginning to, to teach after this, this particular festival. So there would have been tons of people uh, around the temple at this time. And then Jesus' teaching has, has skyrocketed in popularity. He, he, he is being surrounded by great number. The, the crowds are coming from all over to, to hear him, to be healed by him. There, there, there's just tons of people surrounding Jesus to, to hear from him. And that's the scene that is set. Jesus sitting around the temple, large crowds of people, and these scribes and Pharisees drag this woman into the presence of Christ. Now, a little bit about the Pharisees. The Pharisees are a, um, a very legalistic group, right? They numbered about 600, which was kind of a small uh, group of people in, in, in this Point of history, and uh, but they had a ton of influence. So they, you know, they, they had influence on the Roman government. They they were getting their their pockets kind of filled by some of the govern, governing officials. They they were they were very influential in the community. Uh, and what they preached essentially was that righteousness came through works, like your obedience to the law, and not just the law of Moses. They would have extra laws that they would put on top of those laws for clarification's sake in their mind. And so they would have all these strenuous laws uh, that you would have to 
obey in order to be righteous before, uh, before God. And so, uh, so the Pharisees obviously are not going to like Jesus because Jesus is kind of recalibrating what righteousness looks like, right? And so they're, they're offended by a lot of what he's teaching. And so they didn't like the fact that he was hanging out with sinners. They saw that as a sin in and of itself. And, and so they are pressing in on Jesus to try to trap him, uh, try to uh, discredit him. And, and so in order to do so, they bring this woman caught in adultery before him. Now, you can imagine this woman, uh, huge crowds of people, the embarrassment that would come with that, the shame that would come with that. Uh, she's probably a hot mess, right? Hair disheveled, half clothed, uh, weeping, knowing the fate that is set out before her, knowing the laws of Moses, that the law of Moses says she should be killed. Matter of fact, you know, the Pharisees coming to Jesus and saying, the law says to stone her, what say you? They were right. The law does say to stone her. Deuteronomy 22, 22. This is what the law says. If a man is found lying with the wife of another man, both of them shall die. The man who lay with the woman and the woman. So I hear the story. I got a couple of questions. First, how did they catch her? How did these scribes and Pharisees catch her in adultery? Uh, could be that they're set, setting her up so that they can trap Jesus, which is a whole nother level of perversion that I can't even get into in this moment. But this is a lot of what misplaced theology and, and, and legalism will get you. It'll get you going to extreme measures to prove you're right, even if it's pervasive and sinful. But that's a whole nother sermon. The second question I have is, where's the dude, right? <laughs> Further... Uh, making me believe that this was a setup from the beginning because the man and the woman should be stoned, but they're just dragging uh, the woman. And the last time I checked, it takes two to commit adultery. Uh, and, and so where's the guy at in this, right? Uh, now, adultery was a serious crime. There's no doubt about it. A serious serious offense. And, uh, you know, the, 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 the Pharisees, the Jews, had another uh, law that they went by called the Mishnah. Now, the Mishnah was basically this oral traditional law that, that was passed down over the years. Now, the Mishnah said that if someone was caught in adultery, if the man was caught in adultery, he was to be buried to his knees in dung, and then a rope tied around his neck, and that two people on either side of that rope were to pull it until he was choked out and killed, and then he would fall face first into dung. Pretty, pretty harsh. <laughs> would make you not want to commit adultery. <laughs> the law was pretty strong too. I mean, we, we have heard the statement of being stoned over and over and over again and not kind of like the hippie way, like, like the, with actual stones. And so like we've heard that over the years and so it kind of loses some of its weight. But imagine being lined up and just a group of people hurling large rocks at you. 
I wouldn't want to go that way, right? That's a bad way to go. And so, but this is what the law, the punishment for adultery, Moses says, is to be stoned by the community. So adultery, God takes adultery very seriously. It's a one-strike rule. It's, it's, you know, according to the Old Testament, there's not a lot of grace there. Um, and, uh, and, and so, so the Pharisees are, uh, they think they've got Jesus, right? Because the reason, let me give you some context here. In Rome, the Romans had made a law that you could not execute someone if they break, if they have broken a religious law. And so this stripped from the Pharisees and the religious legalists a lot of their power, right? So they would hold it over people. We're going to stone you if you get out of line, right? We're going to kill you if you do these particular sins as warranted by uh, a lot of the Old Testament. And so with, the, with Rome making this law that they're not allowed to do that anymore, they're going to try to trap Jesus, right? So they drag this woman caught in adultery in front of Jesus, and they say, the law says to stone her, what say you? Because here's the deal. If Jesus says, all right, stone her, that's what she deserves. That's what the scripture says to do. Then they've got him. They will take him in front of the Roman officials and say, this man is disobeying the rules and the laws of Rome. Have him do what you want with him. If he comes and says, don't stone her, they've got him. He's not obeying the word of God. He's not listening to, he's, he's going contrary to the word of God. And, and, and he's not a, a, a right and good teacher of the law. So they think they've got him trapped. They think they've got him uh, between Rome and the Bible. Now, remember, she is guilty. She did commit adultery. And so they come, they drag her in front of Jesus, and they say, hey, Moses says, stoner, what say you? I love Jesus' response. You know, oftentimes, I, I'm so guilty of this. I often have, uh, answer way too quickly. And it usually gets, gets me in trouble. My mouth moves sometimes quicker than my brain works, and it usually results in no filter, right? Well, Jesus takes his time on this one, which I love that. He drops down. He begins riding in the sand or in the dirt, uh, and the, the Pharisees begin to get frustrated. They ask him again, come on, man. What say you? Give us an answer. Should we stone this woman or not? And Jesus stands up, and he says, let him without sin throw the first stone and then, like a boss, just drops back down and starts writing again. <laughs> you know, we have no clue what he wrote in the sand. There, there are a lot of different theories. If anybody tells you they know, they're wrong, okay? Uh, because no one knows what he wrote in the sand. There's, one theory is that he was just doodling. I don't think that's right. I, I mean, I mean that's, Jesus does nothing ar that's arbitrary, right? So he's not going to... Another theory is that he's writing out the Ten Commandments. Uh, my opinion is that uh, he was right, because the word right here uh, means writing out against someone. So I think he was actually writing the sins of the men surrounding the woman. Tim, you know, greed, Paul, liar, Jim, pornography, George, whatever. So he's writing out the sins of these men surrounded her. And then, you know, he stands up and says, all right, now you without sin, throw the first one. You know, Jesus 
often in the New Testament is standing against the Pharisees' view of the law. Um, some scripture to back this up, Matthew 9, 13 says, Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. He's correcting the Jewish religious elite on their own scripture here. He says in Galatians 5, 14, For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. He's recalibrating how the law should be enacted. And there's plenty of scenarios I could give you. Like, like when, he is, uh, when he heals someone on the Sabbath and the Pharisees berate him for that. And he says, oh, you, you think it's okay to get your donkey out of a ditch on the Sabbath, but I can't heal a man's hand on the Sabbath? You, you've got this whole law thing backwards. And he's constantly fixing uh, and, and, and showing them that they're, uh, they're using the law incorrectly. And, and in this particular scenario, Jesus forces them to expose their own misuse of the law. He's forcing their, their hand here to, 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 to expose their misuse of the law. Now, the point is not that um, judges and executioners are to be sinless. That's not the point. Um, th- the point is that righteousness and justice should come, sh- should be founded on a gracious spirit. Um, if righteousness and justice comes from a, um, a heartless, uh, if, if, if it, it, if, if it's not founded on grace, it would be founded in, in, in heartlessness and hypocrisy. And that's what you have in the Pharisees. Now, what I want to correct about our culture is that we often say, you can't judge me. Judge not lest ye be judged. Only God can judge me, right? Which is the scariest thing you can ever want. Um, however, we often use it as, I can do whatever I want to do, you can't say anything different, but that's not what is happening here. Matter of fact, it is very unloving for us to see a brother, go to Matthew 18, to see a brother falling into sin and to say nothing. That is the most unbiblical, ungodly, unloving thing you can do. Now, what we do is we come in a very gracious spirit. We, we come to, to restore. We come to rebuild. We, we come to honor God and to have the, a life of, of our brother or sister honor God. If you're coming with evil intentions, if you're coming saying, you know, I'm just wanting to smear, to smear their name. I'm, I'm wanting to, to uh, you know, show, you know, that I've been right all along and how they're full of sin. They can't be trusted. That, that is heartless and hypocritical. But if we're coming in a very gracious spirit, then yes, we come and lovingly Bring the word and correct and, and, you know, and, and walk with a brother or sister th- through those kinds of things. But, 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 and I think that's the point a lot th- throughout the Gospels that Jesus is, is, is bringing here in, in this particular story and, and throughout the New Testament. He's re- recalibrating how we are to deal with one another in our own sin, in our own shortcomings and failures. And so he's, he's correcting the, the Pharisees' misuse of the law and, 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 and pointing to, to grace here. Now, all of a sudden, he says that. He says, you without sin cast the first stone. He drops down, begins writing the sin again. 
And starting with the oldest, they begin dropping the rocks on the ground and walking away. Um, now, the woman then looks up. All her accusers are gone. And uh, only Jesus is left. Now, Jesus had no sin. He had every right based on the law and based on his own righteousness to hurl stones at her. He could have lined up and just began humming rocks at this woman, and he, he would have been just to do it. It's what, according to the law, she deserved. But obviously, he, he didn't do that. You can imagine just the intensity of this, of this moment. And Jesus says, where are your accusers? Where are those who condemn you? Has no one condemned you? And she says, no one, Lord. Which I think is a huge statement. No one, Lord. You know, Christianity is not praying a prayer and being covered by some kind of eternal, you know, fire insurance and getting out of hell free card or whatever. Christianity is a submission and a surrender to Jesus as Lord. Lord is, he is the king, he reigns, he is boss, he is sovereign over my life and what I do with my life. He, is, he has the final say on how I parent, how I spend my money, how I live my life, what career I have, what I do with my time. He, he is Lord of my life. This is what distinguishes a Christian from a non-Christian is a Christian has said, you are Lord, I surrender, I submit to your headship, your lordship. Now you, my king, tell me what you want me to do, how you want me to live. I will do what you've commanded me to do based on your scriptures. I will do what your Holy Spirit leads me to do in accordance with the scriptures in my own spirit. There's a difference between a Christian and a non-Christian. The Christian has said, I'm no longer the king of my own life. I'm no longer the, the Lord that reigns over my own heart and life. Jesus is Lord over my life. He has control of everything. And so this woman says, no one, Lord. She has surrendered. She has submitted to Jesus as Lord. And then Jesus says, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. And I think this is awesome. Because many of us in this room are so stuck in our own sin you're so stuck in guilt, shame, or, 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 or a particular sin, and you, 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 ha you have no freedom. And Jesus is saying, the, the promise given here is that to those who are repentant, who have surrendered unto the Lord, there's freedom for you. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is grace that the scripture says that he has lavished upon us. Now, some of us might think that this woman's getting off scot-free. Like, hey, she's not having a punish for, you know, she, she committed adultery. She gets to walk away from that. What's up with that? She's not getting punished for that. I would say her sin is punished. Although it's going to be punished about six months later on Jesus on the cross. 
That Jesus is going to take the sins of believers, those who bow their knee to Christ, those, those who have surrendered to him as Lord. He takes their sins, all of it, and the punishment that they deserve, the wrath of God that that deserves, he takes on himself on the cross. He takes the punishment for her sin. Now, notice what he didn't say. He didn't say here, neither do I condemn you, so it doesn't matter if you commit adultery. No, we also know the, the scripture says, be holy as God is holy. So he's not making light of adultery here. He's not making light of sin here. What he's saying is he's saying, I'm reestablishing righteousness in your life. And for the Pharisees too, if they would have it. If they would come and surrender as Lord, I'm, I'm reestablishing what righteousness looks like. And that righteousness is based on grace that I'm living righteous for you, and I'm going to give it to you, though you don't deserve it. That's grace. So I'm reestablishing what righteousness looks like. And he's saying to her, don't commit adultery anymore. Not out of fear of being stoned. Don't let that be your motivating factor anymore. Don't let being shamed in front of a crowd at the temple be, being the motivating factor to keep you from adultery anymore. No, let the motivating factor to keep you from sin be that you have met with God and you have been changed by God. You have been forgiven your sin by God and that grace changes you. That forgiveness of sin changes you. And you know this to be true. If you've been forgiven of your sin, you know that changed you. You know you haven't been able to be the same since. You have been changed eternally because of that grace poured out on you. And he's saying to her, go and sin no more. I've forgiven you. I've, I've, I've lavished grace upon you. Go and sin no more. This, we've seen this on Amazing Grace, like, this is, this is an amazing grace. This is what being saved by grace is, that we don't deserve it, but he gives it to us. He gives us his own righteousness. He takes our sin upon himself. That's what the gospel is. It's not you working hard for your salvation. It's not you being morally good. Morally good people will spend eternity in hell. It's about Jesus being your righteousness. It's about Jesus being your Lord. It's about you submitting and surrendering to him as king. That's it. That's the gospel. And she didn't have to be sinless to be forgiven, but her forgiveness will cause her to sin less. She'll walk in that freedom. She'll walk in that righteousness It'll, it'll cause her to live more obedient to, to Jesus because she, she understands that she has been forgiven. And that's what we do as believers. We don't work for it. We don't work for forgiveness. We work from it. So we, we can live lives that, that um, are not perfect by any means, but walk down a, a, a obedience to Jesus and obedience to the Holy Spirit in our life based on the fact that we have been forgiven. That's what changes us, God's grace changes us. Not us trying to work to be better. Not us working in our own power. A little side note, the, the man isn't going to get off scot-free either. Neither are the religious elite. All, all of those Pharisees, all those sins committed in this act, this pervasive act of 
dragging this woman before Jesus, all those sins will be punished. They'll either be punished on Jesus if they bow their knee to Christ, or they will take the punishment themselves in the final judgment. But for all of us, this, this, this story should be a very sweet story for us. If you're stuck in sin, if you're, even if you're stuck in sexual sin, if, if, if you are um, committing adultery, or fornication, or lust, or pornography, these things are, are very grave sins. The grace of God does not minimize the, the, the depravity of our sin or what our sin deserves. It, it doesn't negate it. It doesn't negate the law. But what it does is that, the, is that Jesus takes the punishment for us. That's what grace is. So if you are committing adultery, if you are having sex outside of marriage, if, if you are battling pornography, those are grave sins. Deserving of great punishment. But the beauty of the gospel is that Jesus takes the punishment for you. Now you have the then freedom to walk as a forgiven individual. To not be stuck by the sins that have you captive, but to walk in the obedience and the freedom that Jesus offers you. So a lot of you, are, maybe you're not a Christian in this room, and you, you know, the scripture says you are born into sin and slavery, that you are, uh, you are born a child of wrath, you were born a son of disobedience, you were born dead in sin and trespasses, and unless Jesus has done something in your life, you remain stuck there. So maybe even now you are stuck in your sin and guilt and shame, and you need to find the freedom of Jesus. That you need to be saved by him. You need to surrender to him as Lord and Savior. Give your life to him. Stop being your own Lord and, and, and let him free you from death and sin and the grave. And maybe you're in here and you're a believer and you're just stuck in guilt and shame. You're, 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 maybe <clears throat> you're afraid of God. Maybe it's because you got your own daddy issues because you had a bad father. Or, or maybe this is just how you were relate, uh, raised in some kind of legalistic religion. But maybe you can't, you, you can't contemplate coming to God because you think he's just standing there with, with a bat ready to bop you over the head with it and, and, and begin to punish you for what you've done. This is how the enemy works. You know, uh, for our lives, oftentimes, uh, what we do is we sin, right? Because we're, we're going to. We're going to fail. We're going to fall, right? And, but what is most natural for us to do is, upon sinning is that we run from God, right? Now, the scriptures, I think, and I would encourage you as a church that when you do sin, when you do fall, when you do fail, that you should immediately seek repentance. You should immediately come to God. You should immediately, upon sinning, come to your word, come, come to the cross and the foot of the cross, come to Jesus, be found in him immediately after sinning, come unto him. But that's not what we do, is it? 
No, no, no. What we do is we sin, and then we begin to think in our minds, we're not good enough yet to come to the Scriptures. We're not good enough yet to come back to God in prayer. We're not good enough yet to seek Him for repentance, because in our minds, we've got this subliminal works-based salvation. i got to work and be good enough for God to readmit me back into His presence. But that's not true. But what we do is we run from Him. And so one sin in that moment should lead us to more worship of Him, because we should come to Him of repentance. We should come to him seeking his, his presence and, and, and realizing the grace that's been poured out on us. But what we do is, instead of that, we take that moment and we wallow in our own shame and guilt. And what should be a moment that we turn into worship becomes a moment of guilt and shame for, for days, for weeks, for months, for years to where you don't think you're good enough to come to God. And instead of running to the only one who can do anything about your sin, we run away from him. And we wallow in guilt and shame. And all the while, if you're redeemed, all the while Jesus is saying, I have forgiven you of that. I have paid the price for the sin you're choosing to wallow in. I've redeemed you from that. And yet we cling to it. We hold fast to it. Let me give you some scriptures. Romans 8.1, I've referenced this already. There is therefore now no, none, zilch, zero, nada, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is no condemnation if you are in Christ Jesus, none. But David, you don't know what I did. I don't care. That doesn't, there's not an asterisk there. That says, there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus, asterisk, unless they did this and this and this. It's just none. You're free. You've, had, you've been saved by grace. John 3, 17, for God did not send his son in the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Now, for many of us, God has forgiven you, but you just, you can't forgive yourself. You know, guilt is, uh, definition of guilt, shorthand, would be that I've done bad things. Definition of shame is I am bad. And most of you have done bad things, as we all do. We all fall and fail and break the heart of God. But it leads us into shame where we think that we you know, we, we can't forgive ourselves. There's no way God could love me the way you say God loves me. There's no way God can forgive me the way you say God can forgive me. There, there's no way. If you knew what I did, there's no way God would have me. And I'm telling you, God does know what you've done. And yes, it angered God. And God took that wrath and poured every ounce of it out onto Jesus. So that when he looks at you, there is now no condemnation for those who are in, in Christ Jesus. So when God looks at you, he doesn't see you anymore. 
He sees someone in Christ Jesus. So he looks at you and he sees the perfect, righteous one, blameless one, Jesus, the Son of God, who did live up to the standard of the law, who was perfect, who was righteous. He looks at you because you are in Christ and he smiles and he is pleased. Because of you? No. Because of what Jesus has done for you. Because you earned it? No. Because Jesus earned it for you. Because you're good enough? No. Because Jesus was good enough for you. It's the only way to get into heaven. It's to be in him. It's the only way to be made righteous. It's to be in him. It's the only way to get unstuck from the sin and shame and guilt of our lives is to come running to him. He is the only one who can bring freedom. If the son has set you free, you are free indeed. There's only life in Christ. Only freedom is found in Christ. And he sets us free by his grace. Not because you've earned it or deserve it. Matter of fact, because you didn't earn it and deserve it. And he lavishes it upon you. He lavishes it on us. Now, my encouragement to us is enter into that rest. There's rest there. There's Sabbath there. There's peace and hope and joy there. Find life in Christ. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your grace, your mercy that you have lavished on us. Though we didn't earn it or deserve it, you have poured it out on us, your people. I pray for the individual in here that has not yet bowed their knee to Christ. They aren't a Christian. Uh, Maybe they've been playing religious games. Maybe they've thought you're going to let them into heaven based on they're a moral person. Pray, God, you would open their eyes to the truth this morning. That the default destination of every human being is hell unless they are saved by Jesus. Unless Jesus intervenes. And your scripture says you've lavished your grace on us. I, I can't, we can't even begin to wrap our minds around what that is. So God, my, my prayer is simply, would you just give us a little more understanding of the grace of God today? Give us a little bit more of a taste of the goodness of what the cross has purchased on our behalf. You are so good provide a way for us to go and spend eternity with Jesus. I pray, God, that you would free, would you, would you set free many of the believers in this room that are so captive to guilt and shame and sin. They've been freed, but they're not walking in it. Let us claim the scriptures that we are overcomers by the blood of the Lamb. We, we, we have 
sin has no longer power and dominion over us. We are no longer slaves and captives to sin. Because of Jesus, he has set us free. And if Jesus has set us free, we are free indeed. Help us to walk in that, Jesus. Help us to walk in that. Help us to believe that and walk in that. Help us to run to you with our sin, the only one who can do anything about it. Stop running away from you. Trying to fix it ourselves, trying to clean up our life ourselves. It's foolish. We love you and we do submit to you, Jesus. You are our Lord. You are our Savior. And you have poured out love and grace all over us. Set free today. Set souls free today, God. Pray these things in the name of Christ. Amen. Hey, uh, a couple of things again. Thank you for worshiping with us today. If you... Um, our guest, just remember, put that card in the basket. If you're here and you don't know Jesus and you want to, or you want to at least ask some more questions, a couple ways you can do that. On that card that you've got, you can indicate you want someone to follow up with you about committing your life to Christ or you've got some questions or whatever. You can put that in the basket. You can come out there and talk to me and the team. Uh, after you know, During this song, you come out and talk to me. Um, however the Lord is leading you, man. I, I would encourage you to deal with that today. Figure out what God is doing in you today. Other than that, we're going to sing a song of just response of what is God teaching you and growing in you and let us worship him for his great grace and mercy and love that he has lavished on us, okay? Thank you again for being here. Let's stand and worship together. I hear the Savior say, Thy strength indeed is small. Child of weakness, watch and pray. Find in thine all in all. Savior say thy strength indeed is small child of weakness watch and pray find in me thine all in all Jesus paid it all oh Jesus paid it all all to him I Sin I've left in crimson stain and he washed it white as snow. Yes, he did.
Jesus, I my soul to say, my lips shall still reveal. Oh, Jesus, paid it all, all to Him I owe. Sin, I left a crimson stain, and He washed it white as snow. Sing, He washed. He washed it white as snow. He washed, oh, he washed it white as snow. Oh, praise the one who paid my debt and raised this life up from the dead. Oh, praise the one. crimson stain and he washed it white as snow he washed and he washed it white as snow amen that is true i pray you walk in that truth this week you guys just missed have an awesome week